and welcome to the Mike O'Brien Show. Uh, this is Mike O'Brien. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. With me, as always, is Jeffrey Taylor. He is in Celebration, Florida. But today we have a very special guest. Uh, I am a big fan of Mr. Chris Saliza, formerly of CNN, but more more famously for the Tony Kornheiser Show, being a member of the Tony I, Kornheiser Show. I don't know. Show. I'm kind of a the fix guy. To be honest, I'm Thank the, the fix guy. Way to go guy. old school. Yeah. Way to go old school. That's, that's yeah. where I am. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Chris, so as we were, we were talking before we started, uh, Jeff and I both started in Orlando, Florida. That's where I got like really kind of into Tony Kornheiser. He was the lead in show. I listened to him, the mailback. I remember I was on a, a radio show and he read my email on the ESPN <laughs> show. I was like, I'm on the radio. <laughs> I was like so excited that Tony Kornheiser read my. How did you guys even I, I you're you know, you're in the, the political yeah. uh, uh, stuff and then you're in. DC area. How, how did your paths cross where you were well, a regular on the, that's like my dream so, to be a regular. Totally. It's so weird. Um, so I went to Georgetown. So I've been, I went, I was a freshman in 1994. So he was on sports radio then like regular, whatever we call like normal radio back yeah. when that was really a thing people listened to, which it's not really as much anymore. Um, and like, I listened, obviously I was like really into sports. Um, I read his column in the post. Uh, and so like, obviously I knew who he was and, and you know, love the show. This was like back when Andy Poland and Gary Braun were like the two main people who were on with him. I think definitely Andy and I think Gary too. Anyway. Um, so like I graduated, I started in politics and like probably in the mid to late two thousands, I, um, Got I, I was friendly with a guy named Mark Stern who does production yeah. stuff for him. And I just kind of knew Mark. For, I don't even know how I knew Mark. I think he was like connected to Georgetown in some weird way. I, I don't know. So I knew him and he was like, hey, why don't you like come on the show once and like, you know, talk politics? And I was like, oh, my God, like I would love, you know, I mean, it was like a thing that I grew up listening to. So I was like, oh, God, of course. So I did it. And um you know, I think the rule of the show is if you hear someone more than once, it's usually because Tony likes them. And if you hear mm -hmm. someone once, it's because Tony doesn't like them. It's not <laughs> it's it's not super complicated. Um, yeah, it's a dictatorship. Um, so, like, you know, he likes smart and funny. So I try to at least be funny. I don't know about smart, but um, uh, so. Then I just sort of, I don't know, it's like, you know, I started coming in when we were doing in-studio pre-COVID, I was doing two or three times a week because he was doing five-day-a-week shows. See, that's that's the biggest thing, and, and I have a group text with my friends Dan Bolger and Doug Gurton, friends of the show, um, but they they asked, I said, well, I have, I'm having Saliza on, what should I ask, and, and when is it going to get back to, I did not even five days a week, but just the news coverage when you guys would go yeah. over like three or four news stories totally. the best. that was the best it was the best part no, of the show where, where no I one and it's what i like about news is you talk about the news you give your opinions about stuff but it's not like i'm right you're wrong you right. would all you would all crap on each other i mean you're all self-deprecating humor which i love especially being a bostonian we all love uh, <laughs> i know uh, well i'm from connecticut other. so I, I share that new england that new england sensibility so again I, I always people ask me this when they know i've been on the show they ask me and they're fans of the show they ask me this a lot so what i would say is i would return to my it's a dictatorship mm -hmm. thing right so 
Tony makes the calls on what the show looks like. It's called the Tony Kornheiser show. It the show doesn't exist without Tony. So Tony yeah. makes the calls. Um, you know, I think he got into a routine during COVID where he was doing like a kind of a very similar but not exactly the same show with less people, obviously, mm. because you know, he was very concerned about it. So I think he's just kind of in that mode. Do I think he'll ever go back to the sort of the way the show used to be? It's a really good question. I think, I think probably not. Um, but again, it kind of depends wholly on him. Like it, there's, I can't emphasize this enough. There's one vote on how it matters. Maybe two, Mike. Mike <laughs> yeah, Mike yeah. Will probably, and and Mark gets a half vote. But you know, beyond that, like, so, like, I loved it back then. I mean, I was on with Gary all the time. Gary is like a very good friend, and you know, I love yeah, he's you know, great too. Um, so I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm. I really want to do the show more regularly. I'm trying to figure out a, a way to do the show more regularly, mm-hmm. mostly because I just really like doing it. I really like yeah. those guys. I really enjoy it. Um, you know, it's so fun for me. Uh, and again, I always, it's a thing that I kind of grew up listening to. It's like, like I never thought I would be on and candidly, like from a business perspective, like it's great to be on. Like so many people listen to it. Like I, I don't know if more people over time, like I keep a counter, but I don't know if more people over time have come up to me and asked me about Kornheiser or about CNN, but it's like pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Just remarkable because like TV is TV. Like I know cable TV has declining ratings and blah, 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 blah. But like the truth is just hundreds of thousands of people still watch. Mm-hmm. And what you were on, it didn't. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the thing. What I love about it is, I mean, an inside joke on Tony Kornheiser is how everyone hates you. Like it's the it's it the thing. great. And you it just is play, great. I, you I mean, know, you I have to be in the grocery store and someone will be like, I hate you. And you're like, people hey, the cheese ring. People, people come up to me all the time, like literally multiple times a week. Now, I live in D.C. Obviously, it has like a, a big listenership in D.C. is probably where it's strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, but people come up to me all the time and tell me to eat it all yeah, the time. Eat it to <laughs> Like three times a week. So like, I, I love doing it. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think they've gotten very comfortable doing it the way they do it. I think, and I totally get this having two kids. I think Tony likes having Michael right there. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I also don't know. I hope he keeps, I think he will keep doing the radio show that radio, the podcast longer than he'll do PTI. I don't know, yeah. but it's, a little less of a lift, you know, TV is a little bit more, you know, put on a tie, you got you know, you got to look presentable. Um, so I don't know, you know, I- I'm hoping it keeps going. I mean, it's been, it's something that's been with me since the mid 1990s, like in one form or another, either yeah. as a or as a guest. So I really hope it keeps going because um, like it's, it's, I mean, I listen to the show every single time. It's obviously whether I'm on or not. I, like, I am a listener and fan of the show. So from that perspective, I want it to keep going. And from sort of the broader perspective that I think it does something, and Tony has this gift, like, I do think it does something that a lot of other shows don't do. As a fan, I hope it continues. I, you know, I th- I don't know that he's got some, like, blueprint in his head of how long he wants it to go for. Um, but, like, it does. It fills a space that a lot of shows don't fill. You know, like it's it's sports, yes, but it's kind of politics and culture. But and, it's his life. You know, life. like that's right. what I love. The best part is him 
going to Nautica to try to get four dollars off his shirt when the man makes millions of dollars a year. Exactly. And just it's like, amazing, it's- right? I always say that to him. I'm like, do you know? Do you know how much? Um, uh, like ju- just like if you did a breakdown of like how much money you make per hour or per minute. Yeah. Do you know how much money you're wasting by arguing over five, like calling someone on the phone and, and arguing <laughs> about like a $3 charge on like a jacket you bought? Like you're some you surcharge are, for the credit card that he didn't know was there. You probably, yeah. you probably made 10 times that amount of money while you were on the phone. Like you're yeah. valuable. Yeah. That's what any that's show here. I've ever produced, I said. I, no one cares what you think. Like no one cares what you think. My my history teacher, my junior year, Ronnie McKay, told me that no one cares what you think. It's a life lesson. I wish more of America uh, listened to, so but true. they don't. But what we care about is your stupid stories, and that's what I try to do. When I did, Jeff said we have to do a show with you know me because I'm so entertaining. But I I wanted it to be like the Tony Kornheiser show. We have some guests. We talk about stuff. Totally. But even like. I don't care your political opinions. I don't care what you think of Tom Brady. I don't care. Like, just let's be entertaining. And that's all I care about. I think that like, I've said this to him many times and like, I really do mean this. Like, I really think, I don't know that he, again, I don't think this was a strategy. I just think it's who he is, but like, he was very much ahead of the curve about like building a community of loyal, of, you know, people who are loyal, building a community of people who kind of like are, in on the lingo and in, in, I mean, all that yeah. stuff was like very, like, I remember when he was only on radio and we were talking to him about podcasting and I was like, you are literally perfect for this because you have a built in audience who will find you and follow. Like, yes, you're going to lose. Found few, yeah. Right. You're going to lose a few people probably on the older end who are like a podcast. What is that? But like, for the most part, like you've built this loyal community who comes to things, who sends you things, who interacts with each other. Like he's built this like infrastructure. And again, like, I don't think it was, maybe it was, I mean, I've never asked him, but I don't think it was like some grand strategy of his. I think it's just kind of who he is, but he was very much ahead of the curve of like, you need to build loyalty. I mean, look, I know that now what I'm trying to do in journalism with, with Substack, like you're trying to build loyalty among a group of people for what you do. He's been doing that for 35 years. And it, it was all organic. I think anything that's been successful, especially in entertainment, I mean, I'm a wrestling guy. I'm a whatever. Everything that's worked is what's not shoved down your throat, you know, yeah. because if it's shoved down your throat, people are like, I don't want that. But what's that over there? Like something looks interesting over there. And Tony Kornheiser is just kind of talking. It was like he his the way he explains his life. It's like the first reality show before reality show. He was doing it in the <laughs> 90s. We're talking yeah. about going to the grocery store and whatever. And people are like, this is really interesting. It's like he's going to the grocery store. Like, why do you and care it about is, it? It's very much in the like Seinfeld, Larry David oh, kind of 100%. Too. Yeah. You know, like normal stuff. Like, you know, if if I said to you, like, okay, we're gonna do a podcast where the first 20 minutes is about a guy going, a rich guy going to the Nautica store and fighting over a price, you'd be like, eh. you yeah. know, but he makes it good. Like that's his gift. What's the Burger King price where like people will write it and be like $12.73, whatever it is. I, uh, so when I was in sports radio, you just, I mean, you know, being in, in, in uh, news and whatever you acquire numbers, you acquire emails. Sometimes you don't even know how you got this number. I got Tony Kornheiser's phone number and it was with Terry Bowden. Who's on his show a lot. Cause Terry used to do ABC 
in uh, for college football. So he'd be on PTI, you know, once or twice a month or something like that during college football. And I called him up. He immediately says, how did you get this number? And oh, I yeah. said, I don't I don't know. I, I don't even know how I got the number. And yep. he just was like, and who's this for? I said, Terry Bowden. He goes, I'll do the show. Don't ever call this number ever again. Yep. And it was like that the most I was like, yeah, you know, it was like when I that met Ricky Henderson and I said, will you sign this? And he looked at the magazine and he said, that's a great picture of Ricky. No. And walked away. I was like, that, <laughs> I want that more than I want. The, you're being you, you know, totally like, agree. Oh, I love it. Embody love yourself. That. And, and uh, the fact I've had people I do stand up and I've had people they are like, are you really Mike, Mike O'Brien from Boston, formerly Revere? I'm like, that's me. That's they're me. like, oh, my God. You're totally. right. That's what I mean. Like, it's Cordy it's Cordy. a remarkable community that, that like and I will say I didn't even realize it was as big as it is. It really is like I don't even think Tony realizes it. Like I send him notes sometimes where I'll be in. Where was I? I gave a talk in Arkansas for my book random this was like in early september and like three people came up to me after the talk and were like thank you so like i love your love you on the cornizer show like it's amazing yeah like, it, it's really i didn't even really, know you were in politics i honestly didn't know you i just thought you were just that, like on the sh like a friend of his that's entertaining and is on the show and i, mean, I, I never watched cnn i never watched Fox, i never watched any of that stuff so i just didn't even know who you were and i was i know you from the 20 cards right. i was at a wedding where um, my lady friend, as I like to call her, her <laughs> friends were from BC and Luke Russert was there. And I was just like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, like, of course, Luke Russert was like trying to get away from me because I was just like peppering him with, with Luke Tony Russert. <laughs> Luke Russert does not miss a wedding. That no. guy doesn't miss a party. We we definitely ripped up that open bar that night. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, oh, man. It was so it was so like. The wedding, like you couldn't get into the church because it was a small church and they invited. I don't know how many people it was. <laughs> our it was BC a Luke Russert wedding. wedding. So needless to say, it was expensive. Are BC weddings fun? Because Georgetown weddings are a little bit boring. Um, That was fun, but I'm a UMass guy. So FBC okay. in every, every, I can't stand BC. Yesterday was the bean pot and I was just walking around Boston oh, yeah. and someone, a couple asked me to take their picture and it was a BU uh, husband and a BC wife and i i said i said good luck be you and fbc and the lady was like why would you say that i was like go you mass and she's like get out of here you know like <laughs> it, but yeah it's uh it's not like an intense rivalry because they don't really play each other but right no but whatever but yeah i can't stand bc and it's funny growing up i was a georgetown kid i loved georgetown go. i i loved uh i i loved um dikembe and alonzo morning were my guys yeah. dikembe's son is dikembe's son is on the team now he doesn't play he, much but he's he, on the team how Ryan tall is he? Seven two. Were you there when uh, Dikembe said, "Who wants to sex Matumbo?" Were I you at that party? I wish. I oh. wish. <laughs> I once. So I'm from Northampton, Massachusetts, um, where Smith College is. If you're yep. familiar, all girls school. Yep. And yep. I uh, was covering a magic game, and Marcus Camby was there, and he was like, "No more questions." I was just like. I don't even want to ask you questions. I'm just from Northampton, Massachusetts. And he just started laughing and goes, Smith College. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. amazing. I have a good, I have a good uh Marcus Camby story. Oh, I so love Marcus Camby. In in high school, when I was from Hartford area. Yes. My freshman and sophomore year, I went to Xavier High School. It's a Catholic all-boys school in Middletown, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. Very good at basketball. We played Hartford Public which was where Marcus Camby went. Now he was at that point, like a giant star, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, was he was, he already committed to Calipari and UMass and 
Um, and I, I, God knows why I played. I think we must have been losing by a lot because I played. So that it was like a very, you know, like not, I was not a starter. So I was in the game and I took a shot and we were playing in this big gym. It was like 40 rows of bleachers on both sides. And he blocked my shot, probably 35 rows. <laughs> and it was still, it was still kind of like going upward when it hit yeah. the bleachers. It's like the trajectory was that it would have hit the back wall almost if bleachers hadn't gotten away. So yeah, that was my Marcus Camby story. Was I had a, I only made I was horrible at basketball. I only made freshman basketball because the um the coach just knew me and he always cut me and he was just like, All right, we need a thirteenth guy. You can get Love a uniform. It. And he put me in the end of a game and I went for like a put back and this kid, the wall was like 10 feet away from the behind the basket and this kid rejected it and it bounced off the back wall and landed at the three point line. And I just like walked back to the bench and sat down. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I am. What's that? You remember those teams? Do you remember Carmelo Travieso? Oh yeah. I talked to him on Twitter. I played against him too. He was no way. Outstanding. Outstanding. He's amazing. Him and Edgar Padilla shut beat Georgetown. They shut down. So uh, so one of my biggest claims to fame here in Boston is I've been there's a Boston Globe article about me, how I've been the man on the street like 40 times. Those <laughs> articles in the regular past, like, Boston guy. Yeah, I just like the, the subway breaks down. I'm given <laughs> in um, Carmelo Travieso during a snowstorm was randomly the man on the street about the snow. And that it just is said amazing. It just said Carmelo Travieso concerned driver. I said it should say Carmelo Travieso shut down Allen Iverson in the Elite Eight. <laughs> did he did he does he still live there? He lives around here. He I see him on Twitter. I bumped into him once in a park once and okay. uh yeah I it's crazy. So during COVID I lost my job as a tour guide. Right. And you you might not remember this um these players because it was a little after your time at Georgetown, but um, a guy I worked with at the jail, I got a job as a jail guard because I just needed a job. Wow. And Jonathan DePina, who was a point guard at UMass, was my sergeant, and he's like one of the best basketball players in Boston of the past like 20, 25 amazing. years. And Monty Mack, who's the second all-time he's my mailman in Boston. I just saw him yesterday, and we talked That's UMass crazy. basketball all the time. There's still, there is still stories of people I know who see Adrian Dantley working as a crossing guard in Maryland. No way. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. insane. Like the, Adrian Dantley is like legendarily cheap. Yeah. i always like wants to work and people are like, that's Adrian Dantley. Like he's in the NBA Hall of Fame. Like he's like one of the best, you know, small yeah. forwards in history. It's just like, you know, crossing guard. <laughs> Like the same kind of thing. I, I mean, I, I mean, they didn't make that much money back then, but I would assume Adrian Dantley has enough money. He probably just likes to work. You know, yeah. Even you hear stories like, oh, well, they only made like a hundred grand. It's like, yeah, but back then, hundred grand was like, right. and, you know, was and a also lot of money. Adrian Dantley's uh, a name that most sports people would know. So someone will totally. give him a job at their used car sales place. He could be totally. a salesperson yeah. here. Just on name alone, people will buy from Adrian Dantley. That's what I think. He's a big enough name that like people would know. So I think he just likes working. Yeah, it is That's amazing good. those old those old athletes, the jobs. We used to work with Daryl Talley a lot, which sadly oh, he yeah, like from got, the Bills. From yeah, from the Bills. He yeah. he got he was telling us he was like telling us about Jersey barriers, and he made all this money, and then it ended up he got the guy who you know gave him the thing fleeced him or whatever like. To his tale as old as time with athletes. Yep. But he would tell us about how, like, 
some company in Buffalo is like, hey, we're trying to seal the deal. We'll give you whatever. I don't even know the amount of money. A thousand dollars to fly up and play golf with yep. someone. And you're like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. I'll do yeah. That. Absolutely. yeah, the name like, will get you. Amazing? The name will get you an income. Now, yep. now, before we did this, I um, I saw your your I went over your Wikipedia, of course. Oh, gosh. my favorite questions to ask someone about who has a Wikipedia. Do you update your own Wikipedia page? How often do you see something and you're like, no, I do not. I, honestly, so who's I, writing your Wikipedia? I don't page? know. That's a great question. I, I, during my time at CNN, uh, especially the, the Washington post a little less so, but definitely CNN. I stopped like, searching myself oh, really sure. look, looking at twitter all that much it was pretty bleak i'm <laughs> sure uh you know but like that's why i don't watch that i just refer to it as crap like I, it's just it's just the news isn't news anymore and i don't care like i'm not i'm not a political person i don't care you, you know jeff is jeff is a, a florida man he's he, he's a florida republican he just said he forgot he had a gun in his car you know like he's republican <laughs> florida man and, and like i just don't care like it used to be i used to watch that all the time and then i was I, i've had i've held many jobs this is one of the topics of the shows but i was a limo driver and i was um Who's the guy on MSNBC? O'Donnell. Um, Lawrence O'Donnell. He's from Boston. I drove him around after the Boston Marathon bombings, and we're talking about like how people are just going on air because they want to be first, not right. And so they're literally, I mean, the Boston Marathon, I think the Boston Marathon bombings and Sandy Hook were two examples of when the news is finally like, all right, we need to like fact check things here. Because they're just like, this guy did it. This guy did it. Oh, the guy went into Sandy Hook. He killed his whole family before. Or maybe just his mom. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't his mom. And, and you're just like, can you just take a deep breath before you go live on I, national television? And I just remember specifically with the, it was the Zarnayabs, right? Those two yes, brothers. Yes, yeah. that's who yeah. did the marathon. But they, on New York Post, the just posted of, a picture of these two random guys. And were like, these totally. are the guys. The amount of misinformation then was real. I remember that. It was like all these reports of where they were and who they were and that that was wrong. I mean, you know, the other thing that factors into this, which is even more depressing, is like misinformation is one thing. Like it shouldn't happen. People shouldn't get stuff wrong. We do rush to try to be first. But I, my, my belief with misinformation, generally speaking, is it's it's not maliciously intended. You know what I mean? I don't think most people are trying to get something wrong. But then you have the whole like disinformation of like foreign actors, bad agents. Like that's the thing that like I always struggle to grapple with, particularly as it relates to social media. Is like, are these real people who are like yeah. sabotaging you? On, on social media, I think that 90% of it is not real people savaging okay. you. I think I honestly believe that there are literal warehouses full of people whose job it is in another country yep. to take this side and that side all the time just to rile people up. I they it's really interesting. Like I never I, I guess I I'm super naive or was at least super naive about all that stuff. And I just never assumed that that was a thing, but I'm totally uh, come around to your view. Like I really yeah. do think it's, it's almost all manufactured because the truth is like what works now. And this is depressing about politics is outrage. Like on both sides. And I, it, you know, it's just, yeah. 
Can you believe they did X? Can you believe Y said Z? Like it's only, and it's just playing to people's kind of like emotions because emotion is what makes you click, what makes you subscribe, you know, what makes you keep watching. Uh, it, I think it's really, I mean, we didn't, you didn't have me on to talk about democracy, but I think it is no. really destructive, generally speaking, for sort of like good government and like trying to find where we're more alike than we're different to have just these places that are literally just pushing all your hot buttons for profit. I mean, and that's that the thing. That's the thing that I think like the thing that people don't realize is like uh, Tucker is a good example of this. Uh, like I knew Tucker when he wrote for like talk magazine and uh, he was like a uh, probably like a business country club conservative, right? He wore bow ties and, he was fiscally conservative, but kind of like socially liberal-ish. And like th this whole thing that he's doing now is like a shtick for money. Like, you know, it's like he he is a business person. He saw where this is all headed. He knows that anger and outrage works. And that's where he goes. Um, you know, the left has this too. I always cite Olbermann, who hates me and is a friend of Tony's. Like, you know, Olbermann has gone way to the left, you know, but has, I haven't checked, but you know, got, let me do the quick search. Like my guess is he's got a million, uh, Twitter followers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, like 979,000 and he has his countdown podcast has 27 million plays. Like that's you insane. Know, and it's just, it's so funny how like over left, like I'm, you know, I, like I said, I grew up in Northampton, the whales can marry. I don't care like what, you know what you do with your life just don't bother me but when you agree with people are like well you don't agree enough you know and you're like i don't know how else to agree with you anymore it's, you it's know i don't care if you have a gun i don't care just like to me i'm just like i just want to play Kino. stop bothering the me. beauty you know, of like, all the beauty of all of this is going on is that there's going to be a generation and i hope it's soon i have three kids they're all in different generations so i've been able to see it happen and now my my six-year-old i'm hoping is the generation that this happens with but kids typically look at what their parents are doing or oh. what older people are doing and they say that's not cool i'm not going to do that <laughs> and i think totally. there's a i think there's a breaking point that we're going to reach where there are going to be kids that are like i don't want to do this social media stuff that's what my parents do i'm going to stay yeah. off of this i'm not going to talk about these things and i feel like the cyclical nature of of how life works they're going to get back to a more like being a part of an actual community. I, I So I, man, I hope you're right. And I like, I am a big believer just having watched politics in particular over the years, there is a pendulum nature to it. Like yeah. there, there's no question that like it swings one way and it eventually swings back. Now the, the, the issue is like how long it takes to swing back. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it could be 50 years, but it eventually kind of does. Um, I mean, I remember, so I got into covering politics in the late 1990s after I graduated from college. And like, that was sort of what I would date as kind of the beginning of what we are seeing. Like the pendulum was moving up the scale then because that was Clinton's impeachment, Bob Livingston getting thrown out of Congress for or was not becoming speaker because of, of an affair. Like the personal was becoming political partisanship was on the rise and like everything that's kind of happened in the 25 years since then has just sort of like affirmed that. Now, the question is, is in the next 25 years, does the pendulum keep swinging higher in that direction? Mm -hmm. It could, or does it start to, I hope, like you said, start to kind of move back down? Yeah. I'm hoping that kids rebellion 
against what their parents believe actually works in our favor for once. Well, the, the funny. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, I was going to say how, how it's like it started off being right, like are kind of good. Like, yeah, Bill Clinton shouldn't be getting BJs from interns and all right. this stuff. And imagine if that was like where, where John F. Kennedy and all these other people who, who, you know, are notorious for just treating people like crap. But they did good things, you know, like, but, well, it, but mean, then it, it went into this whole thing of just like. Then what do you think? Like, it's not what you did. It's just like every little nitpick thing that just went. It's it's one thing calling people out on like bad things they really did. It's another thing to be like, you eat Cheerios for breakfast. You know, it's just like, what? Yeah, well, I well, don't care. The, the thing the thing is that you look back in history and we right now are in probably 1979 where uh, up to that point, things had been really good. And people could complain about things like, do you like Cheerios? But then the shit hit the fan, which it's starting to do now. And everybody had to say, oh, this is hitting me in my pocketbook. My kids are my kids going to have a future. And I feel like we're getting to that point where I think that it's going to swing back because people are going to actually start to think about how this actually affects me. Because Mike and I were talking before you got on about how like sports has become uh, politics has become like sports it's Absolutely. my team it's that team and yeah. and he was like it's so stupid i was like but is it because what's more important to your actual life tom brady winning the super bowl or the politician that's yeah. actually going to make a difference winning the election i i always say that to people like people follow sports much more closely more i shouldn't say that more people follow sports closely than follow politics closely. There, there's a bunch of people who follow politics closely, but more people follow the NFL, for example. Right. But I would say to them, like, look, man, like you don't have to follow it super closely, but I would recommend you picking one or two people who you think are smart. And you can do this more now than you used to ever do before because content creation is easy, right? You don't really like Yes, it probably helps if you work for the Washington Post or CNN, but I've seen lots of people succeed who don't work for those places, right? Pick one or two people who follow this stuff closely, who you trust, that you keep an eye on it, at least. Because again, like these are the people that make laws and decisions that impact your life in ways that maybe you don't feel every single day, but in ways that are critical. That's the thing. I think we've done a bad job just in terms of civic engagement. We've done a bad job of making sure people understand like politics isn't just the thing that happens in Washington or happens every four years when they run for president. Like these people, whether it's whether it's like members of Congress or as importantly, like people who work for, for um, agencies in the federal bureaucracy you've never heard of who create regulations that impact your life like or your business. And I think we've done a bad job of making that clear to people because I again I don't think you have to be like me and follow ever like oh did you see Nancy Mason South Carolina got a challenge like okay I get it not everybody cares about that right but like broadly speaking I think it is really important to have some sense of kind of like where things are headed now I get that like particularly with with Trump like I think a lot of people have just tuned out, right? It's like, okay, every, every day, especially from 2016 to 2020, every day and the media covering him and, you know, a constant, constant, constant. I get that. I'm just saying, like, in general, pick a person. <laughs> pick three people. Yeah. Whether it's a TV personality, somebody who writes, somebody who does YouTube videos, somebody who does a podcast. And listen to that. I just couldn't so agree more. I, I couldn't agree more right? because cable news was such a big part of my life for a long time. Back going back to the 90s, I was a cable news junkie. 
and I can't no. do it anymore because I feel <laughs> like I could switch the channel back and forth and it's literally they're saying the exact opposite thing. Now, there's no way that the opposite things can both be true. So I've had to find people that are actually just giving me the news from a this is the news perspective. I've had to search them out and find them, read them and just say, okay, now what's my opinion of how this is going down? And the other thing that I think exactly to that point, just to add one other quick thing. The thing that I don't like now about news is about coverage, not news is news, about how news is covered is how predictable it is. Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of know if I go to this channel, what I'm going to get or that channel or this, like the thing I like about um, the people I follow, whether it's in politics or sports or culture or whatever, movies, pro wrestling, is that every once in a while, they'll surprise me with something that they're take. You know what I mean? I'll be like, oh. Like, I thought that they'd be for this, but they're against it. Or, like, you know, I thought they'd be pro Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, but they're against it in a smart way, right? Not just, like, I hate her music. Like, whatever. Like, something that's interesting that makes me think, like, the thing that I always, in my own life, like, if you talk and write for a living, the thing that is hard is this. The best way to monetize your content is to be predictable when you're in politics, is be either predictably right or predictably left. It just is. There's built-in audiences there. I always tell people, go look at the New York Times bestseller list and look at political books. It's all like, Democrats are the worst or Republicans are evil. There's no like, well, both parties do some good stuff and some bad stuff. Yeah. It's not, That's not the only way right. we're going to get better is listening to each other and be like, hey, maybe right. we should combine these ideas. And my, right. by my the way, one, you never want... Either one of them to have all of the control ever. Yeah. That's what yeah. I always tell people. I was like, I have my feelings, but I also understand that I never want my feelings to be the dominant thing. I want the mixture. I want for yeah. I, I actually, in my opinion, in politics, the best thing to ever happen is log jam that makes it take a long time for things right. to actually yeah, happen. Done. Yes, yeah. I love that. You know that phrase, you know that cliche, I always, I think of this all the time when I think about like our current political life, the, the cliche, like reasonable people can disagree. Like, you know, that was always yeah. a thing when I was a kid. Like, well, you know, like your neighbor has a view that's different. It doesn't have to be about, about politics, about anything. Like, that's not a thing anymore. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I remember going on dating people, sites and they'd be like, if you like Trump, don't even sway. If you like Biden, don't even right. whatever, like whatever it, the, the presence were. It's like, why would you not even talk to the person? You won't even talk at, to the person? <laughs> like, what? It's insane. At best, at best, when someone disagrees with you, the belief is they're just misguided. Yeah. At worst, it's that they're kind of like ill-intended, like they're purposely misunderstanding. And if only they knew the facts, they would agree with you. Like, that's not a great way to get to any kind of future. I, I'm not even going to say consensus because I'm not sure that has to be the goal. But like future conversation, like I always remind people, this is not a big thing that you think about all the time. But like breaking news, Social Security and Medicare are going bankrupt. We continue yeah. to do nothing about it. Yeah. Like, my generation, our generation, certainly our yeah, kids' generation, yeah. not going to be a thing. Like, we just don't solve any problems because they're hard. And, like, if we have a system where we don't solve problems because they're hard, that's a problem. Yeah. My biggest thing, being in Boston, <laughs> we go by the Tip O'Neill building on our tours, and I'll say that's a Tip O'Neill building. His most famous quote is, all politics is local. And no, 
No one cares about local. That's how yeah. that's the thing that to me, I always say it doesn't matter who the president of the United States is to me. Just like just I want to have a beer with you. That's the president of the United States. It's who's your city councilor? Who's your my I live in Northampton. They redid the sidewalk in front of my dad's house. So now when you back out, it bottoms out because they screwed yep. up or whatever. Yep. But they're going to city council meetings and condemning the wars in Israel. And I'm like, why <laughs> can we condemn right. the sidewalk in front of my dad's house? Right. Please? The, the, you know, the council, the city councilman doesn't didn't charge Donald Trump with uh, four four indictments. You know oh, what I mean? They, like, he right. didn't have anything to do with that. No. Yeah. Yeah. But it's <laughs> just like it's like they're condemning wars. And and oh the the college loans should be I'm like why are you even wasting or the, va- the or the vaccine the vaccine like, dude, the city councilman had nothing to do with the CDC's vaccine approval policy. My favorite thing <laughs> in Boston is you get the Emerson in Suffolk are right by the state house and just like yeah. the other day kid pro Palestinian kids which whatever I don't care what your views are but they go to the state house and start yelling at the state house I'm like this person right. has no you think What's they're the gonna call Benjamin Netanyahu and just yeah. be like hey. You know, cut the crap. I got 27 kids out front of my office right now. <laughs> like, I know. And like the, the Massachusetts State House is not going to solve Middle East peace. No, no problem. No. It's just like, so you're laying down in front of the State House about abortion and you're like, they agree with you. Massachusetts has abortion. Why are you laying in front of the House State House for that? I Dude, just I, don't. It makes me, zero me, sense. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't. I don't you're you're opening doors to rabbit holes that you don't want me to go down, Mike <laughs> O'Brien. No, but I'm just saying, like, if you really want to go against abortion, go to Texas, go to some place that actually you're literally yelling at people who go, I agree with everything you're saying. Why are you yelling at us? Uh, right. But then one one last thing, too, we're talking about sports. Jeff and I had a kind of a thing about this. Those political conventions that they act like it's a Duke basketball game where they paint their face, they're going nuts. Can you believe so and so said they're going to do this and they're going to do that? I'm like, they're not going to do anything. That they're literally lying to you. And yeah. just yesterday, just yesterday, it's truck day at, at the Boston Red Sox. Okay, they go, they have a truck. They, they, Wally the Green Monster comes out. You take pictures. The truck leaves. I went down because I was trying to get on TV. They just had a press conference with the CEO of the Red Sox, Sam Kennedy, and they're just tossing them softball questions, whatever, you know, the trucks leaving. And then I'm just there. It's on the sidewalk. I can be there and I'm recording it. And I said, what do you think to the about the fans thinking that you're only caring? You only care about making money in Fenway Park, a tourist attraction instead of making a good baseball team. And he just talked for like a minute and a half, said nothing and then just walked away like press. The press don't ask questions anymore and they don't hold anyone accountable and, and you just give some long-winded answer like i just did and i didn't say anything but they think you said everything the one thing i will say in defense of the media which i am still sort of marginally a part of i guess is even even in the late 1990s and the 2000s like there were only like let's say boston is a good example like let's say you wanted to make news uh and you're a politician for example like you had the Globe, uh, you had local TV, you had um, whatever your local newspaper is, right? Yeah. There weren't like that many options, right? Like you kind of had to go through like a set, you know, you, you could choose among, let's call it six options. Now, and I, I saw this happen all the time, you know, now they can control so much of, of their own content, social media, they, I mean, you see that the White House does this all the time, whether it's Trump or Biden or Obama or whoever. 
It used to be they'd like break news through, they'd give you something or you, you know, now they just like post it on Twitter, post mm. a YouTube video about it. Like they have so many more avenues that don't involve the mainstream media that it, your power as a reporter has been significantly reduced. Now that doesn't mean that reporters shouldn't ask better questions, but I do think like the politicians used to at least feel like they had to answer because they wanted to keep at least a working relationship with the media, particularly if let's say you're uh, Mike Capuano in, 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 in Massachusetts and, yeah. and you, you want to have like a working relationship with the Boston globe. So like you're, you, you have some relationship with the political reporter now, like I'm not sure they care as much. Democrats care a little bit more than Republicans for Republicans. Not having a relationship with the media is actually a, is a good, like a good thing for their base. But it is, I think it's harder to be a reporter now. I mean, it's a shit industry. Like, I, I don't think any, if you follow any news, you know that, like, myself included, hundreds of people have been laid off in the last year and a half. Yeah. Um, it's not a good industry to be in. So it's not, I was teaching a class at Syracuse, which was painful because it was Syracuse. Yeah, say, Georgetown fan. But I was teaching a class, they have a great journalism school. I was teaching a class, you know, I'm teaching these kids about journalism. And one of the hard things is, like, I love journalism. It's super fun. It's a really interesting profession. At the same time, it's a terrible business. Mm -hmm. Like, it's hard to recommend. Like, if my kid came to me, I have a 14-year-old and 11-year-old. If my 14-year-old in a year was like, I really want to major in journalism in college, I'd be like, no. Like, yeah. major in computer science. Uh, I, always say, I always say business or marketing and then do what right. you want to do. Because yeah. you could fall back on either of those degrees. But I totally. kind of disagree with you, though, a little bit because I feel like maybe uh, it hasn't reached you yet, but there are journalists that are doing great things without the major players because yeah. the big problem is now is that you go to you go to every city has their times or their post or their you know weekly and they're all owned by a huge corporation yeah. all of them by the same so right. so if you go to work for one of them you're ba basically just going to be a mouthpiece for whatever they want you to say but you've got these outside guys, and James O'Keefe is a perfect example of this. He is doing journalism in a way that's making him a lot of money in a completely separate from any corporation. And granted, he started a corporation, and they fired him, and he had to come back. And I know he's not popular on both sides, but he's actually doing journalism, regardless of what you think of him and what he's doing. That's real journalism. So there's still a way to to do it the right way and make money. So I've learned just in the last year with Substack, like it's a very interesting thing. Like I do think there is a creator economy out there yep. that will pay and support journalism. I think the benefit of that is there's no overhead, right? Journalism is really expensive. You got to pay for healthcare for everybody. You got to pay for trips. You got, you know, as they do reporting and stuff like I think if it's just, I mean, I've learned this myself. If it's just you, I think there's there's a possible model. It's these big ones that are not owned by billionaires, which aren't that many at this point. But but that those are the ones I struggle with. Although I will say, I've been surprised but gratified by this. The Boston Globe is one of the newspapers that is actually, I believe, turning a profit. One of the media companies. Are they really? It's probably yeah. the article they did on me, I think, is yeah, about being on the news. Big, Had a two-page article. That was a big hit. I bought nine copies. Uh, That's probably what happened. They are 
and not many others are. So there, there's stuff out there. I think people still want news and information. It's just changing. Like Sub, Substack's a perfect example too, because that literally is what used to be like stringers. Like you, yeah. you, you can string on your own. You can, you can have a yeah. Substack. You're getting to those people. If you break a story that is huge on your Substack, everybody's going to come. It'll get out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Distribution is that's one cool thing. Distribution is flattening. Like it used to be that unless you were at one of these big places, no one would ever see anything. The, the distribution, social media plays a big role in this, but it's it, distribution is now kind of like the CNN has a bigger megaphone than Chris Saliza, obviously. Yeah. But like, Chris Saliza doesn't not have an ability to have a megaphone if he's got something a lot of people want to hear. Right. Which, yeah. Back in the day, you were just shouting into the void. Yeah, that's like you. I have a stupid podcast that 100 people listen to, you know, like whatever, but it could be 200, right. whatever. But right. when I got out of sports radio, people were like, why'd you get out of sports radio? You loved it. It was so much fun. I'm like, I was living in Buffalo, New York, making $20,000 a year working 60 hour weeks. Like yeah, I just not sustainable. I couldn't do it anymore. And well, it just you get to a point where if my name's not on the show, you don't make money. So like all well, the behind the scenes people just don't make money. Well, and you're just like, I can't. But now I have a podcast and I make more money pointing at buildings and doing stand-up than I would in sports radio. But you know? again, so like even like 10 years ago, like the bar for entry to do a podcast was much higher. Oh right? yeah. Like no. it was like, well, you got to get a sponsor and you got to get a technical person who could do it. Like now it's like, do you have a microphone that plugs into your computer? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not that beyond that <laughs> require that much. It, yeah, it is pretty. It, it's all about the content. That's really right. where we're getting back to is it's all about the content. Do you have so, are you saying something that people want or need to hear? And if oh. you are, they, they will. It's if, if you build it, they will come. We hope. Yeah. Well, Chris, uh, as we leave, what what do you have, as, as Tony always says, what are you plugging? Um, great. Thank you for that. Go If you can, if you like sports and politics, go my, buy my book. It's called Power Players, Sports, Politics, and the American Presidency. It's about it, – it has nothing to – I know politics is in the title, but it has nothing to do with partisan politics. It's just about the sports from Eisenhower to Biden, all those presidents. I think it's 13 – the sports they played, loved, and uh, like how they use sports in their in their presidencies. And go to my Substack, which is just my name. Just type Chris Silliza, C I L L I Z Z A into subs into and and Substack into Google. It'll come up. There's free subscriptions. Um, I'd love to have anyone on a free subscription. If you've got the money and you want to support me, it's fifty dollars a year. But you don't have to do that. Uh, and that's where I'm doing most of my work these days. That's Thanks. awesome. Well, being from uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, big UMass fan, I hate Connecticut. And my favorite uh, phrase was everything good for uh, the only thing good from Connecticut was the Hartford Whalers. And they left. And now it's the Hartford Whalers and Chris Eliza, And they both left. So did that affect you? You're, you're, I'm 43. You're 47. Were you a Whalers fan growing up? Totally. Mike Liu, Kevin Deneen, Ron Francis. Oh, we man. Won. We only had. So this is, I'll go after this, I promise. No, we, keep talking. Whatever. In, the, in the, let's see, in the 80s and 90s, there's no, there's one team, professional sports team in Connecticut, the Whalers. Yeah. Obviously, everyone went. The only other thing, and people are always amazed that this happened, it would obviously never happen now, but the Celtics used to play like 15 games at the Hartford Civic Center yeah. every year. So we'd go and, and watch them, although I was a 76ers fan because they had uh, Maurice Cheeks and Andrew Tony and Bobby Jones and Dr. J. Daryl Dawson. 
My um, best friend's dad played with Dr. J at uh, UMass, and my buddy Tommy Ellerbrook was a ball boy once for a Nets game. So like cool. his la- It was amazing. But yeah, that was the only show in town. You know, yeah. we like the Hartford Civic Center, and like there was a mall there, and we'd like go and look around at the mall and then go to the game. You would wait in line outside of a footlocker to get into totally. the Whalers game. It was, Absolutely. it was the most absurd setup ever. It and I understand no why sense. they left because that arena. It's like the most 1980s thing of all time. We're going to put a stadium in a mall. Yeah. <laughs> just Although they that. still have, now they have a stadium in a casino there. That is true. In Mohegan. In Mohegan. Yeah. But when, I was a kid, when I was a kid, Eastern Connecticut was like, I grew up in Eastern Connecticut and further east than me, you literally no one went to. And that's where the casinos are now. So everyone goes there. Everyone goes there. What is your what is your number one uh, rest food stop in the state of Connecticut? Because unlike Massachusetts, the Mass Pike has the worst. It's just McDonald's every stop. But at Connecticut, you, you stop at the Milford rest stop. You got some options. What What is your go to if you ever drive back home? That's a good question. You know, I I haven't. I, so my dad passed away in 2021. My mom moved down here. I'm an only child. So my uh, mom moved down to Virginia. Mm-hmm. So she lives three minutes from me now. So I haven't gone in a really long time. The place that I would recommend, it's still open. The place the my favorite place to eat in Connecticut is called Shady Glen. Mm-hmm. There's two of them. It is a hamburger place where they put the cheese on the grill and burn it. And I know this does not oh. sound, but then they put it on the burger. It's like old school, like the the waiters and waitresses wear the little like paper yeah. hat. It and they have ice cream. So good. If there you, you can anywhere near a shady glen, go and have lunch or dinner. Amazing. And it's also like one of those places where like they haven't changed prices in 20 years or 50 years. So it's like $4.99 for dinner. Oh, price. that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, hit that up. Yeah. Well, once again, Chris Lizard, thank you so much. Check out his book. Check out Substack. Give the give. Listen to the man's thoughts. Give the man some money and <laughs> me too. You, you can give me money too. But anyways, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, um, thanks for being on the uh, Tell Tony I said hello. I will tell him hello. Revere. Revere. Absolutely. Take care, gentlemen. <laughs>